Well, good, good morning. Once again, welcome to the Vine Community Church. My name is Carson Rock. At this time, we'd like to go ahead and invite all of our kids uh, to head to Vine Kids time. If you're sixth grade or under, you can head out that back door with Mr. Jeff uh, for fifth and sixth graders, and then out this door with Mr. Duncan to the left if you are uh, under fifth grade. We'd love to have you join us for that. So our Vine Kids team has some great gospel-centered teaching planned for uh, our kids this morning. And just, like uh, Brandon said, my name is Carson Rock. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to share with you all this morning. I'm not our normal pastor, so if you are here for the first time, uh, I would probably recommend that you come back again sometime. But um, I'm definitely uh, always thankful. This church has been such a blessing to my wife Katie and I over the last few years. And so uh, it's always an honor to have the opportunity to get up here and to talk about some of the things that the Lord's been putting on my heart. Um, as a church, if you've been with us for uh, any time, somewhere in the last like 33 weeks, you've probably heard us talk about the book of John, and we're going to be continuing in that this morning. So you can go ahead if you want to and start working your way to John chapter 8, verse 31, which is where we're going to be uh, for our time this morning, if you want to start heading that direction. Um, but just to kind of reiterate what we've talked about so far in the book of John, uh, John's purpose in his gospel is really to focus on the deity of Jesus and who and who Jesus really is, that Jesus is God, and that he is uh, not just telling a story about Jesus' life, but he's really showing us uh, the way that Jesus lived and how he was God. And, we, and we've seen him talk about that a lot. And so uh, let's finish a little time recapping where we've been uh, over the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus come in and uh, have an interaction in the temple with some Pharisees. And uh, as they were talking back and forth, Jesus begins to tell them that he's the light of the world, uh, but they really don't want to hear what it is that he has to say. Instead, they try to invalidate Jesus' testimony, and they say, well, who are your witnesses? Who can back up what you're saying? And Jesus tells them, well, first of all, I don't really need any witnesses, but if you do want a witness, my father is my witness. And they ask him, well, where's your father? Like, we don't see him here. Uh, some people think that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, might have actually been dead at that time. And so they're wondering, where is your father? Like, who's going to back up your testimony, Jesus? Um, and he tells them uh, that to know him and his words is to actually know the father, that they're kind of one and the same. And so he's saying some things that are very confrontational to uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, at that time, and, and so they're not really understanding what Jesus is saying. Jesus has spent a lot of time with most of his teaching focusing on spiritual matters, matters of the heart, and instead these people are kind of focused on physical and literal things. Like they want to know, well, where's your father? Who, where is he? Who is he? We want to see him, uh, and they don't really understand that Jesus is talking about God the Father. And uh, the big thing that I think we wanted to take away from two weeks ago was that you can't claim to know the Father and at the same time reject the Son. And that is exactly what the religious leaders of the day were doing. They said that, yeah, we, we know who God is and we want to spend time with the Father, but we don't really want to believe anything that Jesus has to say. Uh, and that, so he put himself kind of in direct opposition with them. They were super unhappy about it. They wanted to have him arrested, but it says that they were unable to because his time had not yet come. And then last week, we kind of uh, took a look at the next part of this conversation that he's having with the Pharisees, and uh, he begins to be very direct with the audience. He tells them that he's going away, and where he's going, they cannot come. He says uh, that they are going to die in their sin, is what he tells them. And they're obviously really confused because they're still thinking, 
from this physical standpoint, like, well, how are you going to go somewhere that we're not going to be able to follow you or find you or be able to at least keep up with you? Uh, like, are you going to kill yourself? Like, how are we not going to be able to do this? They're still thinking in a very, like, physical, earthly manner. Uh, but Jesus is telling them, you know, very clearly, uh, as he understands, like, hey, they're, they're not really getting it, he begins to tell them that he is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. He tells them that uh, he is the son of man, which fulfills Daniel chapter 7, that he is the Messiah, that he's the person that the Old Testament has been talking about, and that's who he is actually claiming to be. And so as Jesus is telling them these things, there's really uh, seems to be quite a bit of disconnect with most of the crowd, but it does tell us uh, in verse 30 that even as he spoke, many people put their faith in him. And so that's a little bit of the background of where we're at and where we're going to be this morning. Uh, let's take a moment real quick and just pray before we dive into God's word this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us uh, just to join together as your people this morning. Uh, as Brandon said, it is such a privilege for us to be able to worship our God together in song and in your word, and we just thank you for that. Lord, we pray that uh, you'd be with our hearts, that you'd re remove the distractions, that we wouldn't be concerned with what we're doing after church, Lord, but that we'd be able to just be still for a moment and think about what it is that you want to teach us this morning. Father, we pray that the truth from your word uh, would affect our hearts uh, through the power of your spirit, Lord. We know that it's not the individual words that come out of my mouth, Lord, but it is your word, your written word, your Bible, uh, that you're going to speak to us through this morning. Uh, let's just take a moment in our own hearts as we do each week and ask the Lord to teach us something new today. Every week, uh, as we do as well, let's just take a moment and ask God to speak in the lives of the people around us. Whether you know them by name or not, just ask God to teach them something new this morning as well. Father, we ask that, uh, and we know that your word will not return void. We pray that as we look at it this morning, even though they might not be brand new truths, that uh, you would teach us something anew, something fresh, uh, something that we need to hear this morning uh, from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read uh, John chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 31. We're going to go through 38. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. Please, because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in my Father's presence, and you do not, and you do, do what you have heard from your Father. So it's, uh, as we jump into this passage, it's pretty fair to us to assume that this is probably a similar place to where uh, Jesus was speaking over the last couple weeks, uh, starting in uh, verse 12, when he's speaking in the temple to his Pharisees. But 
It says in verse 31 that he's talking to a group of Jews who had believed him. So this group is probably quite a bit smaller uh, than what it started with. It probably started with some Pharisees and some teachers of the law and probably an assortment of whoever else was actually out uh, at the temple uh, and wanted to hear Jesus that day. But the group that uh, he's speaking to specifically here has been narrowed down to some people that have actually decided that, that they think they want to believe what it is that he's saying as he's kind of come out uh, in these last few verses and told them very clearly that he is the Son of Man, that he is uh, the fulfillment of prophecy. And so they probably, uh, this is probably a group of people who very recently decided they wanted to believe Jesus. They, there's kind of a uh, two-year maximum, at least, that you could have been deciding you wanted to follow Jesus or believe what he said. And um, if we're being honest, it's probably like just his mom that has been with him for the whole two years. But um, it may be a few other people like his closest disciples. But I think on the whole, this group of people is really fresh uh, to saying, okay, we think we really, we think we really believe what you're saying, Jesus. Um, and they're probably looking for some next steps as to what it looks like to actually uh, follow Jesus, to actually become one of his disciples. And so Jesus uh, starts speaking super clearly with them here in verse 31, and he tells them, uh, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And so since Jesus knows that he's kind of close to the end of his time, he's not really wasting any time. He's starting to be very direct. He's not speaking as much in parables. He's being very open, and he's telling them, hey, this is what I'm here to do, this is what I am claiming to do, and uh, this is what it looks like for you to begin to really follow me. And so uh, I think it's important for us to take a minute just to kind of get into the audience's shoes a little bit with who Jesus is talking to. Like I said, they probably haven't been following him for very long, and if they had, uh, they're probably just getting started, just dipping their toe into what is going on. And it's probably a fairly educated group of people that knows what's going on. They're hanging out at the temple, and so they probably have a good idea of the things that uh, Scripture has said that they're going, and they're probably super excited to hear what it is that Jesus is going to tell them about how to follow him. Um, and so he gives them super clear instructions there that if you'll hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And another way that we could translate that, the English Standard Version translates it, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And I think I really like uh, that translation, uh, speaking about the word abiding, because I think it has a lot of depth to it. It makes it think of, it makes me think of like dwelling in or living in or making your home in God's word. And I think that it is similar to holding to his teaching, but I think it's important for us to use all of the English words that we can to describe what it is that Jesus uh, is wanting us to do. And he's telling these people that if you, if you want to really be my disciples, you need to abide in my word. And so, first of all, let's just take a quick second and remember what it is that his, he is telling us his word is. Um, over the last couple weeks, Jesus has told the people, and he's going to say it again in verse 38, that the things that he is saying are things that have come directly from God. They've come from the presence of God, and uh, that's why it's really important that he told us that his word is the same as God's word and, and that God's word is the same as his word, that they are one and the same. They're interchangeable. And this is a theme that John has been giving us throughout the course of his book. He starts off in chapter 1, verse 1, where he tells us, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so John is making it really clear that Jesus... Uh, 
he's putting on display Jesus' deity, that he truly is God, and that his words, the words that come from Jesus, are actually the words of God. And it seems like John uh, and the teachings of Jesus, that we've gone for eight chapters, uh, and the people still really aren't getting it, that when Jesus says something, it actually is the word that's coming from God. Um, and we, we have, as New Testament Christians, the benefit of kind of seeing the whole picture, and we know what Jesus is saying. We probably have a pretty good idea of how this story is going to end uh, if you're here this morning. But if you, if you think about these people, they've probably only had the opportunity to really hear Jesus talk a few times, uh, and they might have heard some of what he has said secondhand from other people. But since they don't have a copy of what he has said, and they probably you know, couldn't check the internet to pull up his latest speech, they, uh, we, uh, they have to take it secondhand. And I think that's something that we really take for granted a lot of times. Like we have, uh, you probably have a Bible with you right here, and if you don't, you're welcome to take the one uh, that's in your seat with you today with you. Um, but we have so much access to the, the Word of God that I think we oftentimes take it for granted. And so uh, let's remember to put that emphasis on what God's Word is, that it is the Word of Jesus at the Vine we believe that the Bible is God's perfect word, that there's nothing wrong with it, and that uh, it is uh, the breath of God, that it is directly from him. And so that's why Jesus is telling us that it's so important to abide in his teaching, to abide in his word, because it is the very word of God. It's not just coming from his own authority, it's coming from the authority of God. And he tells us that when we do abide in his word, that that's what truly makes us his disciples. And discipleship was probably the goal of most of the people that were there with him during this time. I think that they were hanging around and they had said, we, we believe in you because they wanted to follow him. That's what you would do. You would follow a religious teacher when they would come and they would talk about these new ideas and you'd say, yeah, I, I love what this guy's talking about. And so they, they would follow him. They wanted to become his disciples most likely. And I think that's probably why most of us are gathered here this morning, right? Because we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to learn more about what what makes it uh, possible for us to follow him. And he's just given us some super simple instructions here, calling us to abide in his word. And uh, I think it's, it's easy for us to think about this idea of abiding, but there are a couple things that have to happen before we're able to abide in his word. We, first of all, have to have uh, heard it uh, to be able to abide in it, which, like I said earlier, was probably kind of hard for some people during this time. Um, and for you to be able to hear it, like someone either has to tell you or you have to read about it, right? And so this brings up to me uh, another really important idea that Jesus uh, tells us later uh, in his word that is a mark of his disciples. They're not just abiding in his word, but also telling other people about his word. And I think that uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, and I could probably spend a whole message talking about going and telling people about Jesus and about the truth of the gospel. Uh, but just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as you're thinking about what it means to abide in his word and be thankful that you've had the opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel and, and can abide in that and have access to that because not everyone has that and that it is up to us as his people that we are called to tell other people so that they can hear it and have the chance to know it and then abide in it as they go throughout their lives. Uh, but abiding in God's word is more than just knowing it. It's more than just having a knowledge about what is going on. It's really continuing in his word. Because Jesus had thousands of people just two chapters ago in John chapter 6. He had like 5,000 people that he fed because he had this huge audience with him. 
and he's probably got a pretty decent-sized crowd following him around here still. Uh, but we're going to see him go from huge crowds down to really small crowds as we get closer and closer to his crucifixion, because not very many people actually wanted to continue in and abide in and hold to his word. They really liked what he said, and they knew it kind of at, from a knowledge standpoint. They thought, this stuff sounds great. Like, he's Seems like he's t saying really great things, but when it came down to actually holding to and abiding in his word, most people weren't really willing to do that at this time. There's probably not a lot of people that were in this crowd that s said that they believed him, uh, that were actually there with him at, at his crucifixion, right? We know his mom, his biggest fan, was probably still there, but um, uh, you know, there's not a huge contingency of people left. And so... Uh, you know, when you hold to God's word, is when it and when you stick with it, when you continue in it, that, that is when it really begins to change our lives, right? When we truly abide in it over a period of time, not just for a little bit, but when we stick with it and stay in it and are ingrained in it, that's when it begins to have an impact on the things that we actually do. It's just like James tells us in his book that we should not just be hearers of the word, but that we should be doers of God's word. It, when we become doers of the word, when we are abiding in it in a way that it affects us, it changes the decisions that we're going to make, it changes our choices, it changes the way that we decide to spend our time, it changes the things that we're actually thinking about, right? Because when we abide in it, it begins to affect every part of our life and every part of who we are. Abiding in God's word really leads to life change. It, it turns us into Jesus' disciples, and that's why he has given us this example right here. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And when we abide in his word, it's when we actually begin to know him. And when we begin to know him, it's when we actually know uh, a result of knowing the truth about him. And that's what verse 32 says, right? It says, uh, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth about God is really simple. The truth about God is the gospel, right? It's understanding who God is, that he's our creator, and understanding our condition as sinful, fallen, and broken people before him. But uh, the truth about God also includes the hope that he has sent Jesus his son and why Jesus is here doing these things and saying these things and living this way because he has uh, made a way for us in salvation. And so the truth about God gives us hope for this life and it gives us hope for the life to come. It is super exciting and it is freeing and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in a moment. And so Jesus has just said these things. He's told everyone how they can be his disciples, that they just need to abide in his word, uh, and that they can have the truth that will set them free. And the response in verse 33 is pretty interesting. We see them say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? And so I read that, and at first blush, I'm like, what are, what are they kind of talking about? Surely that they have some idea that their people have been enslaved before. If you spent much time around uh, the Old Testament at all, you'll think about the 400 years they spent in slavery in Egypt. You'll think about them being, uh, the Jewish people being conquered by Persia and Syria. And even now, when they're having this conversation with Jesus, they're under Roman rule, right? Uh, and so... I think that this is the start of these people beginning to understand that Jesus is not just talking about physical things, that they're actually starting to translate some of these ideas at least to a religious level, maybe, all the way, maybe not all the way to like a, a heart spiritual level, but at least to a religious level. They're saying, well, even under Roman rule, we're still able to worship as we want to. We're still able to do most of the things that our law tells us to do, so we're really not slaves. Like, why are you, why are you calling us 
slaves. Um, and so, but it, it shows a lot about how these people view themselves and their response here. They say, we are Abraham's descendants. Like, that's kind of what they're claiming. That's kind of what they're identifying themselves as before Jesus, as he's, as he's telling them that they need to be set free from something. They're probably a little offended, and they're not really understanding, well, what, why do we need to be set free from anything? We're Abraham's descendants. We're doing okay. Um, and Jesus goes on in verse 34, and he tells them that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And slavery is a very powerful picture of what sin actually is, right? And Jesus goes on and gives a little story here in verse 35. He says that, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And I think slavery is such a great picture of sin because it's something that you cannot get out of, right? Uh, You're trapped when you're a slave. You're not going to be able to get out of your situation in slavery. Um, And a lot of times I think we like to think about our sin more like indentured servitude, where you think, okay, like I'm, I'm stuck in this, but I have the opportunity to work my way out of it over time, and if I do the right things, I can kind of earn my way out of my slavery, my indentured servitude. But that's just not really the case, uh, and that's why Jesus gives us this example here. He says that everyone who sins is actually a slave to sin, that they are trapped in it, and that we're not going to be able to get ourselves out of our condition as slaves to sin. And that's why I think it's a a super powerful example. Um, But it's important for us to note theologically that Jesus includes everyone here. He says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so he's not really making any exclusions. And I'm sure that his listeners there would have thought that he would have said, except for the descendants of Abraham, or except for the people that go to temple all the time, except for the people that go to church all the time. Or, or maybe we would like to think that he says everyone's a, sin, a slave to sin except for uh, the people that do really good things or that their good things outweigh the bad things that they've done. And, uh, but that's not the case, right? We, what we see Jesus saying here is we're saying that there are no exclusions for any reason. And if we're honest with ourselves, or maybe even halfway honest with ourselves, uh, I think that we would understand that sin really does very quickly and very easily get a very tight grip on us, and that uh, as much as we like to think that we're not, we really are actually sinful people. And the book of Romans really backs us up on this, right? It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what Jesus is really saying here when he says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, uh, since it is very true that everyone has sinned, he's saying that everyone is in need of being set free from sin, that all of us have the need to actually be brought out of this slavery, and that no one is exempt from that need to be freed. In verse 36, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And we saw him uh, just a few verses earlier tell everyone that he actually is the Son of Man. And so what He's kind of saying here is that if I set you free, you will be free indeed. And this is super important uh, because he's kind of been building up to a little bit of this point in these conversations with these people as he continues to make this argument that he is not just his own witness, that God is his witness, that he and God are interchangeable and that his words and God's words are interchangeable when he's saying uh, that he actually has the ability to set you free. Uh, that the Son can set you free, and you will be free indeed. This is a huge claim that Jesus is making that he's saying before these people. And I think it's something that doesn't really 
sit super well with. They're still not totally able to understand him. We'll see, he says in verse 37, kind of calling out their inability to understand. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Um, And so we see them sit here and he's like, Jesus has just told them the truth, right? But they have no room in their hearts for his word. Uh, They're still hanging on to this idea, like he says in verse 38, uh, you do what you've heard from your father. Jesus is trying to tell them what has come straight from the presence of God, his father, right? But instead they're hung up on and stuck thinking about the things that they can understand, the things that have come from their father, and the things that they feel like they kind of have control over. And so there's just uh, a couple big questions that I think that we should think about today as we reflect on this passage and as we think about how it really applies to our lives. And the first one would be uh, coming straight out of these last few verses. It's, do you have room for his word and will you abide in it? Do you have room for his word and will you abide in it? Because these people, as it clearly says in verse 31, they thought that they believed him. Like, they were like, yeah, we we believe you, Jesus. They stuck around. Like, they probably weren't some of the ones who were ready to arrest him anymore. There's some of the people who are ready to stand there and say, yeah, we we believe what you're saying. But Jesus, like, clearly says in verse 37, like, they have no room for his word. Um, And so I think we really have to ask ourselves, like, what would make someone be able to stand there in the presence of Jesus and not have room for his word because it it sounds like a place that we definitely don't want to be. And I think that we can kind of look back to their response uh, to his uh, initial statements here in verse 33 where they say, we are Abraham's descendants. And they're they're kind of claiming that. And they say that we have no need for sin. Like we're we're in good shape because we have, have, we're Abraham's descendants. And uh, I think what they're really not understanding is that these are, these issues that Jesus is talking about are things that need to come to the level of our hearts, right? Um, and so I can't necessarily trace my roots back to Abraham. That'd be super cool if I did. I can probably get somewhere like in Arkansas about 100 years ago. But um, I can definitely relate to the root problem of this sin that they're having right here, right? It's like they're, they want to trust in someone or something uh, to prove that they really aren't slaves, they, they want something to tell them that they don't need to be set free from anything. They want to feel like they have control. And it's super easy for me, at least, to be just like them in a lot of those areas because I don't want to think for a moment that there's even the slightest chance that I really might not be in control of the things that are happening in my life. And that can manifest itself in a ton of different ways, I think. It can be, you know, wanting to be great at our jobs or great in relationships, a great husband or wife, a great boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe you just want to be known as being a really great person and someone who does a lot of great things. Uh, And all these things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, and they're not sins uh, as they stand alone, but... These issues and some of these good things, like being a descendant of Abraham, is not a sin. There's nothing wrong with being a descendant of Abraham, but uh, it becomes an issue when it begins to take up room in our hearts for where God's word is supposed to be, right? We start to have these things that we think that we can hold on to and we can have control of, um, 
and they take the place of God's word in our heart. And the funny thing about them, then, is the funny thing about these things are is that we really don't have control over them, right? We just like to pretend like we do. It's like I, I, a great example would be I spend a lot of time on a project at work, and I think, oh, I'm going to do just fantastic work here. Go over time, you know, have my little paper ready uh, to present to everyone, and the boss says, actually, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to do something else. And it's like, I thought I was in control. I thought I was doing my best and doing such a good job, and it just kind of all gets taken away, right? And a lot of times these things, uh, like whatever our being descendants of Abraham might be, our jobs, our, our success, our reputation, making a good name for ourselves, like those things uh, we really aren't in control of anyway. But essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to safeguard ourselves from slavery by feeling like we have control and we can pull ourselves up and we can point to these good things that we're doing in our lives to be able to lean on and rely on uh, instead of just trusting in the truth in God's word. And so our answer, uh, like how we overcome these things, is right here in the text, right? Jesus tells us that we, we should abide in his word. And when we abide in his word and let it truly change us, that's when we begin to make room in our hearts for him, when we begin to let go of the things that we think we have control of and uh, just start letting his word be what, be what it matters to us. And we're no longer spending the time focusing on and being drained by the things uh, that don't really matter, kind of like Brandon was talking about uh, just a little bit earlier today. And then the second question uh, that I think we should really walk away this morning thinking about and asking ourselves is, are you living in freedom from sin? And uh, I think when we read verse 32, and it says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It can be super easy, uh, and you've probably heard some people take that verse out of context before. Um, and so I don't want you to walk away with any doubt about what the truth that will set you free is this morning, right? The truth uh, that Jesus is talking about is the truth of the gospel. It's that Jesus has come, uh, and even though we're sinful, he has died and taken our place, taken the penalty of God for us so that we can have life in him. Um, and so if, like, at the very beginning level of faith, if you have never begun to live set free, someone would love to talk to you about that this morning. I think we'll have some members of the prayer team in the back, or I'd love to talk to you about what it means to begin to be set free from your sin because of what Christ has done. Like, that is the truth that will set us free. And I think for those of us that are here uh, that that do believe Jesus um, and believe what he has said and, and have had an encounter with the truth, uh, we really have to kind of think about what freedom actually looks like in our lives and what living in freedom actually looks like in our lives because, uh, you know, God and his perfection is totally free because he is unstained and, and unhindered by sin. But we, uh, in, in these human bodies, will always be at least partially uh, hindered by sin. But the only way that we can experience freedom in this life, freedom from the uh, just the difficulty and the tragedy and the sadness that we continue to see all around us in this world, um, can be through the hope uh, that we get in Christ. And what Jesus is really speaking to here is spiritual freedom on a personal level, uh, and he's not talking about physical freedom from physical slavery. He's not talking about political freedom for the Jewish people from Roman rule. He's talking about spiritual freedom for them and for us and what we can experience when we actually choose to believe uh, the truth that he has set before us. And 
This idea is still uh, offen offensive today, just like it was to these people. This idea that we might, for some reason, actually need to be set free from something uh, doesn't necessarily just go over super well. Um, when, when you want to tell someone that, right? Like, I think a modern thought would be that we're just kind of some good people that maybe mess up every once in a while, but that we don't really live in bondage to the bad things that we have done. We don't live in bondage to slavery. Um, and when we see Jesus call in Scripture, it actually may sound a little counterintuitive because we hear him say things like, come and, and lay down your life, come and take up your cross, surrender everything that you have, and follow me. Um, and so it sounds like it, it's kind of in conflict with what uh, we think of as freedom in this world, right? But uh, the truth of the gospel is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are giving up the burden of sin. We are no longer living under the lies and the pressure uh, that Satan and sin put on us, the things that either puff us up and make us proud or the things that either uh, bring us down and make us depressed and insecure. Uh, we instead can, can lift those things off of us through belief in Christ. And Jesus takes those things away so that we can have uh, life and live it uh, the way that we were meant to live it, right? Living in freedom from sin and freedom from bondage, freedom from uh, those things that are holding us back from actually abiding in his word. And that's why uh, it's so important for us to know the truth, like the truth of the gospel, and go back to that. And uh, no matter how long we've been going to church or spending time in it, we can't get past the simple truth of the gospel because it by itself is what really sets us free. And it doesn't matter how much more we know after that. When we spend time thinking about and abiding in the truth of the gospel, uh, that's when our lives and our hearts are really changed, and that's when we can be set free uh, as his people from our sin. And so let's, let's ask ourselves those two questions this morning. Let's ask yourself, do I have room for his word in my heart? Can I let go, give up the, those things that I want to call my, whatever my being Abraham's descendant is? And can I just abide in his word and what it says? And then am I living in freedom from sin? Can I really just uh, give those things over to Jesus, trust in the truth uh, that he has come to save us and can take away the burden of sin in this life and that we can truly live in freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning and just thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I know that these probably aren't new groundbreaking things for most of us, Lord, but, I, but that they are true and that they are from your word. And Lord, we trust uh, that they will speak to us this morning, Lord. We, th we thank you uh, just for the opportunity to spend time in your word and uh, abiding in it corporately this morning, God. Uh, we thank you so much that we get to live in freedom, and uh, we just proclaim the truth that uh, if the Son has set us free, that we are free indeed, and we pray that we would live in that. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand as we sing this final song together and just uh, seal up in our hearts what the Lord has, has uh, reminded us of this morning. Sin shall never 